Welcome to another podcast of Tales of Glory. I believe this is the episode Big 42. I am your host, Reverend Michael Norton. Tales of Glory is a podcast where we discuss everything supernatural about God, healing, inner healing, miracles, signs and wonders, spiritual warfare, contemplative prayer, all that good stuff. We cover it here and what's biblical. Today, we are diving back into my book, A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare. And if you're following along in the video, that's this book right here. We are in chapter 13, Authority and the Heavenly Realms. Some good stuff. This is going to be an interesting chapter because it's probably one of the most confusing chapters when it comes to spiritual warfare, deliverance, spiritual warfare ministry, and the occult, and exorcism. And why is that? There's just some stuff we don't grasp, and we have a lot of Christian mythology and lore going on on what the heavenly realms are, where we have authority, and where we don't have authority. Many times when I teach a class, and I have the banner up behind me right now, the cover of Introduction to Spiritual Warfare Ministry, Course 101, that M16 Ministries teaches. When I teach this course and I get to the subject matter on heavenly realms, usually it's, I hate to pick on these guys, but you guys know me, it's the charismatics and the intercessors that just blow a fuse when I talk about where they don't actually have authority and what's going on and how do we understand this. I'm going to go into some far more depth. Remember, when I wrote this book in 2016 or 2015, somewhere around there, it was published 2016. I have a lot more information now as I've been continuously battling and dealing with the occult and learning more about God's heavenly realm and the spirit realm and what's actually biblical and what did the ancient Hebrews believe? What did Paul believe? What did Peter believe? What did John believe? in the Old Testament, and what did spirituality and demonology and stuff like that look like to them? And it does slightly differ to what's preached the pulpit today. And I'm going to go through that. So before I dive back into a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare, I want to set something else up, and it's out of my new book, Cosmology and Demonology. And it's going to help us navigate these waters a lot easier if we get this foundation of what the heck's going on in the spirit realm, especially God's created unseen realm, the, the kingdom of heaven, his, 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 his kingdom. And what we need to establish is something fascinating happened in Genesis 11. Remember, I covered in the book Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. There was a lot of spiritual stuff going on with God, spiritual warfare, and things in those first 11 chapters of Genesis. In Genesis 11, something interesting happened. The survivors of Noah's ark and Noah's descendants from his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they became, all became rebellious in their, their bloodlines against what God wanted. They were supposed to go out and settle the earth, and they didn't. What they did was, they instead, they all inside inhabit this land of Shinar, which is uh, modern-day Iraq, and build the city of Babylon. It was built on violence and blood. And, and again, just similar things going on here. And the builders of Babylon wanted to elevate themselves above God and will build a city so great, namely Nimrod, that he can never flood the earth again and flood our city. That's an act of rebellion. So God goes, wait a minute, what's going on down here? And this happens in Genesis 11, I believe in verse 8, where God says, let us go down and take a look at what's going on here. When he says, let us go down, who is he talking about? He's not talking about the Trinity. He's not talking himself amongst the three of them. God's talking about himself and a divine spiritual council going down on an expedition. What the heck's going on here? Hey, 
you know, God's God. He's not fooled by this. He's not taken back. He already knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen when after he fled the world. This was going to happen. But now he has to discipline mankind who has a compass to seek depravity constantly after our fall. It's just built into us just naturally. We see what's going on in the world now. Look at depravity. It's our natural compass. So what does God do? He comes down with his, um, some of his divine counsel. He took a look around. And going, you know what? I've already set up these people in this a table of 70 nations. I did this from the bloodlines of the, the ark from Noah's three sons. So I have 70 nations. So I'm going to do is I'm going to divide 69 nations amongst the Elohims, the sons of God. And there, as it was, it, it was set up as um, a punitive action. God knew how these, these, these um, divine spiritual beings were going to behave. Some were be okay and some were going to be evil. Right? There'll be evil rulers. That's how we got regional spirits that came from here. Wait, that's not in Genesis 11, 8, Mike. What the heck are you feeding us? Deuteronomy 32, 8. When God divided the nations among the Elohim. When did God divide the nations? God divided the nations at Genesis 11 to break up the Tower of Babel, divide the people and disperse them so they go back out and populate the earth as was part of his Edenic vision. You follow me now? We have a setup. So now we have. 69 plus nations under regional spirits. And this will come, I'll, I'll feed you back in this one, go back into advanced field guide here, what's going on here. And we have one nation that came out that was reserved for God, the Hebrews. And after, and we, we know in Genesis 12, what did God do? He called out a pagan, Abram, and his, his, uh, his family out of the land of Ur, which was Babylon, Ur of the Chaldeans. And God called him out. And through Abram, he blessed Abram, and God was going to rebuild the nations, right? That was, a, that was the rescue plan. He didn't abandon us. God didn't roll his eyes, goes, look, I've kicked him out of Eden. Look, I flooded the earth, and that they didn't learn. And now they tried to go against me and build a city called Babylon, and they didn't learn. So God didn't just go, you know what? I'm done with you guys. He didn't do that. He goes, I'm just going to let these guys do whatever the heck they want, 69 plus nations, but they're under rulers, and I already know somebody's Divine spiritual beings, the Elohims, are going to be evil to him. But God took his portion. His portion was Abram, the Hebrews. Okay? And that's what we see in Genesis 12. A lot of spiritual stuff in the heavenly realms and regional spirits and everything that's going on was set up in those first 11 chapters. And we don't really tend to investigate that. And that's what I investigated in my book here. Cosmology and Demonology, right? The Serpent, Divine Council, and Regional Spirits. It's a good read. I'd pick it up if you're into spiritual warfare, because that way it'll separate you from the people running around with the reading demons books and they're ill-informed because they've just it's like a little children's game. You sit in a circle in elementary school, you whisper something in somebody's ear and you pass it around the circle and it gets distorted. That's what's happened to our spiritual warfare. It's just gotten distorted after book publishing, after book publishing, after another. So keep this in mind. This is how regional spirits came about, and I'm gonna address this. Because remember I told you back in chapter 12, I talked about demonic manifestations and all the other chapters I talked about throughout this book. This book, Cosmology and Demonology, was a correction to the other two books about what's happening in the heavenly realms that we need to understand. And I'm going to talk about why. I'm going to tell you stories you've never heard before of what's going on, what's happening, and why we need to understand this as ministers. So, let's dive in. Here we are. Where is Mike at today? I'm on page 157. 
If you're following along your book, chapter 13, Authority in the Heavenly Realms. The hardest concept for the charismatic church to grasp is that we don't do any warring in the heavenly realms. Okay? Especially when it comes to spiritual warfare and spiritual authority, this topic is full of false doctrines, and I'd like to address them here. And that's what we're going to tend to today. We're going to look at these. This topic is full of false doctrines, and I want to address them big time. Big time. we got to look at this stuff. You'll find that many of these false teachings are heavily defended, and they have schools around these now, right? They have schools of ministry, schools of uh, deliverance ministries. And so we have built this heavy wall around this thing, and a lot of it's garbage. We need to tear down these walls and move forward. We're in the end times. We need to understand this stuff. We can't hold on to stuff we think is right. So remember, keep this in mind. There is no scriptural basis telling us to go war in heaven. If there is, find it, because I haven't seen it. I think we've been told to stay out. Okay, let's go under the heading of man's terrestrial spiritual dominion. Man's spiritual authority is terrestrial and does not extend into the heavenly realms. Jesus gave us authority over the demonic spirits that roam the earth. Jesus reveals this in scripture when he addressed the 70 disciples. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. That's Luke 10, 19. We see that number 70 again. There are 70 disciples. Remember we had 70 nations at the table of nations back in Genesis 11? God keeps eluding us to his Edenic vision with the 70. So he has 70 disciples here. This is interesting. Who are bringing restoration, right? They, they've been given power to author, uh, trample serpents and scorpions. Well, these, these are low-level demons. So Jesus is telling his people we have authority over the evil that slithers and crawls. These are terrestrial spirits. If you want to know what a terrestrial spirit is, the unclean spirit, you need to go pick up cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1-11, through because I covered what Paul, Jesus, and all these guys explain what these are. They are not fallen angels. There's something interesting going on here. That's why they're confined to the earth. They're unclean. Unclean means they cannot enter heaven. And there's a reason why they're unclean, and you need to educate yourself, because it's not in the Rooting Demons book. It's not in Cleansing Streams. I'm not picking on these guys. We need to make adjustments. We need to make course corrections in spiritual warfare and start understanding what the heck is going on in the Bible. So Jesus is telling his people we have authority over all the evil that saluted on the earth. When these demons attack us, we are to take authority over them. This prayer posture is called low-level demonic deliverance. Prayer posture, terminology. Low-level demonic deliverance. When we pray to Jesus, we petition Jesus. Jesus, please help me with this. That's petitioning prayer. When that's posture is called petitioning prayer, okay? So we do a prayer posture, it's called it's direct, more direct with little demonic, which means I'm commanding a demon. I'm not asking Jesus, I'm saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, demon, to leave that person and never return and go where the Holy Spirit tells you to go. That's a different prayer posture. We're not petitioning Jesus because he gave us the authority to speak against it. So there are, these are called low-level demons, which are different from satanic angels. And I got to change terminology here too to confuse you, because angel is strictly a messenger. These are, when we talk about satanic angels, we're actually talking about satanic divine spiritual beings who are part of the council. God's council, they're part of God's creation, right? They're not messengers. And a lot of them are regional spirits. There's a difference here. They, those are the, the fallen angels. These things we're dealing with the demons are not. Still, they're unredeemable. I'm throwing a lot of terminology for another book you got to go read. 
a lot of misconception and doctrine has been built around the false teaching that we war in a second heaven. There is a lot of contemporary Christian media and books out there that instruct Christians to sharpen their iron in the second heaven. I know I've beat this one to death, right? Katie Souza is the one that does this. Um, verboten. Don't do it. We don't do it. We don't sharpen iron in the second heaven. We are lesser than angels, Hebrews 2.9. Get that in your skull. If you're an intercessor, I want you to go walk around the house, memorize Hebrews 2.9. We are lesser than angels. We are lesser than angels. We are lesser than angels. We don't have authority outside our terrestrial dominion. Remember, we were created in Eden, and we have kingship and priesthood and dominion over the earth, and that's it. I believe the root cause of this teaching is the misconception of Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the heavenly rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who are these guys? We talked, that's why I interjected before about cosmology and demonology in Genesis 11 and Deuteronomy 32. Who are these rulers? Regional spirits. They got it back in Genesis 11. And they're, they're and spiritual forces of wickedness, right? Some of these guys are wicked. We know this. We know from Exodus, when God brought judgment, he brought judgments against the Elohim in Egypt. Wicked, spiritual, regional spirits who were made these people worship them as gods, okay? It all ties back in. It's fascinating. So, Ephesians 6.12, Scripture states that our earthly kingdom is at war with satanic angels in heavenly places, and we only have the authority over this earthly kingdom. One of the books I taught for Deliverance Seminar class identified these satanic angels as demons. I'm calling out cleansing streams. And when they went through this um, Ephesians 6.12, they called them demons, and I pointed it out, and it's just like, they wouldn't correct it. But you know, it is what it is. But this grouping of satanic angels with low-level demons is inaccurate. Why? I explain this to you. Unclean spirits versus fallen angels. They're two separate things. This led people into believing they have authority in the heavens. We don't. Demons are not in heavenly places. They are roaming the earth. They are unclean spirits. They can't, they can't get into heavenly realms. They're, they're locked out of it. So, evil angelic beings are raging war from the second heaven. Understand your spiritual covering authority. It will keep you safe in warfare. In Ephesians 6.12, Paul is explicitly identifying a hierarchy of satanic angels and not demons, right? He's calling out the regional spirits from Deuteronomy 32, the Elohims. That's who he's calling out, the evil ones. Paul knew this. He knew his Old Testament. We don't understand the Old Testament that well. There's a lot of stuff we've lost in understanding and context, and we glean over it, and they make our own understanding from it, which is inaccurate. And this is one of them. This is one of them. So, Jesus never instructed us through Scripture to take authority or to war in the heavens. If we look at the next verse, it begins with the word therefore. In the words of late dark prince, we see a word therefore, ask what's the therefore therefore. I'm referring to Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that so you'll be able to resist the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm against what? The attacks of these evil ruling spirits. We don't battle them, but we need the armor to protect us from them. The armor of God will protect us. So we take up the armor of God in a defensive measure. So we need the armor of God to protect us from the warfare we encounter in this world because of dark forces and heavenly places. God is our protection and our covering. Covering is an interesting word. It's like, even when I began stepping out, doing spiritual warfare with the occult, you know, it was good because early on, pastors were offering me their covering, which means there's a spiritual covering through a church with a number of people praying and all this good stuff. 
And, and that was great and all this learning because it did offer me protection. But as they went darker, I needed a bigger covering and the church coverings weren't that big. And sometimes the pastors got offended by saying, I can't be here because with your intercessors because I'm liable to bring them into danger of what I'm dealing with. However, I'm protected. Therefore, I got to step out and take my covering with me and go. And people were like, well, you're not a church, you know. <laughs> I was a pastor. You know, I had to pass the ones that were um, under um, attack who couldn't get help from the normal churches. You don't have to have a, a church of four walls. You're a body of Christ. So I was pastoring and counseling all these people. We eventually made a, a church called Remnant to survivors, which finally closed down from um, COVID. And we haven't reopened since then. Here in California, it just hasn't. And a lot of the people dispersed and moved away. But, you know, we were a pastor of a church, but it wasn't identified as any denomination or something. But a lot of these pastors go, well, you, you need our covering. Go, no, 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 no. You understand, we have our own covering. And we're very protected. We're hugely protected. I had a very widespread covering beyond what most of these pastors had. And that's not bragging. It's just because what I did. And I had regional coverings in certain places, too, where I went that God allowed me to have covering there. So it was kind of cool. But I think it was Derek Prince or um, who mentioned that he got tired of pastors using the word covering on him because he explained that the pastors, what they were saying was offering covering the church was also a form of human legalism to entrap him into participating in his church or being a part of it, which I thought was interesting because I also identified as human legalism. And one of the ladies I worked with was a, a, a woman pastor and counseling and male pastor. Like, oh, you need my covering. You need my covering because, you know, you know, I'm a male pastor. You can possibly get a covering. You're a female pastor. But what the stuff that her and I did and the other one I worked with, we had a larger covering combined than what these pastors did. They can never grasp it. Well, I have a church. I go, well, we do too. You know, but we're going to some darker stuff. So we have like major federation starship, you know, defiant shields you know, on a small ship that could take a pounding and we scathed some horrible stuff in our life that, you know, I'm not challenging the occult to come after us like that, but I'm just saying, I think when the three of us are always joking at lunchtime, like we went, we went to heaven, we're going to watch these funny videos of how we just evaded something horrible because God's protection and covering protected us from it. So that's that. I rattled off on covering. So let's look at this topic under the heavenly realms, God and his messengers. God is a mystery and God is God. And when we bring God into spiritual warfare through our petitioning prayer for help, there is no telling how he is going to end the battle. I've been in far too many battles where I've witnessed people petition for God's supernatural help, then at the same time ask him to send his angels into battle. What you're doing here is asking God for his help and then telling him how to fight. That's, that's, that's warfare out of pride. So what I'm going to go back into is, you know, again, in the charismatic circles, it was popular to, we, um, we are working with angels, we're partnering with angels, that was a term. And so we're going to call an airstrike over here and uh, call healing over here through angels, or I'm in a spiritual warfare. I'm calling my angels to come in and fight this. And what they were doing was they were sidelining God. Not really. They, you know, they thought they were working with God, but that's, that's acting in pride, telling God how to use his messengers and his divine spiritual beings, because we don't think like God. And the things I learned during satanical ritual abuse counseling sessions were no matter how bad a situation was, I didn't have to figure out the outcome. I just had to be there and be a minister of God and orchestrate bringing the person back into being in God's presence. And Jesus always did some crazy stuff to heal him. Always. I never had to figure out the answer. But in the church, we think that we have all these books and all these um, things on deliverance. I've been trained in this class. I've been trained by the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. I've been trained by Peter Wagner. 
and I've been trained by, you know, these schools of deliverance and all, so I know what's going on. I'm like, the hell you do. The hell you do. If you know what's going on, you learn to sit back and become very relaxed and just pray and pray to Jesus' will and watch Jesus do everything. That's how you do it. That's how you win a battle. The enemy knows when you start planning strategies is how he's got you and he's going to loop you into a corner and you're done in the battle. He's going to exasperate you, wear you out, and spit you out. And that's what he's going to do. So how do we partner? Um, if you don't know how to partner with angels the right way, just use the Lord's Prayer. Be contemplative. Uh, you know, start with the Our Father prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, we forget our debtors, and lead us not to temptation. Thine is the glory and the power forever and ever, right? And go back and meditate. Our Father. You're my Father, God. You're my Father. You're my Heavenly Father. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for sending your Son, because I didn't deserve it. Our Father was in heaven. Heaven, your, your majestic kingdom, your kingdom up there is glorious. You sit on the throne, and it's you know, just one day be able to see you in fullness and who you are, and this, you're amazing, right? That's how you just kind of meditate. Expand on the prayer. And I do this in warfare, too. Like, yeah, shut up. I'm talking to Jesus right now, right? They're, they don't have anything important to say. They're just there to derail you. And as you contemplate and expand on it, you're focusing on Jesus, not on the demonic. That's the whole deal. I don't have to know how to finish a battle. I don't have to start a battle. If I'm brought into it. I'm there to pray. And I'm there to bring the presence of Jesus Christ into the person ahead of me, in front of me, and bring the compassion of Jesus. And that's it. It's not this crazy stuff you see on TV and stuff like, we're, we're taking, come out, come out. Sometimes you have to, but go to compassion route first. Let Jesus do it. And especially with satanic ritual abuse, the deliverance is far gentler. It's not a, come out, come out. You just deliver a part to Jesus, and Jesus just kind of punts the part without us even asking. And the part will tell us, I saw a demon fly out of here, get flung out. You know, Jesus did it. So it's just, we need to have a more, that's what a kingdom mindset is. Jesus is going to do this for us. Jesus is going to do all the work. We just have to focus on him and how much we love him and to help this other person focus on him as well. So, as I beat up on partnering with angels, I want to remind you, I've had encounter with angels during prayer sessions and on street ministry. So, I'm not poo-pooing these angelic messengers when they show up, or uh, the divine spirits when they show up to, to do battle. I've seen them, I've experienced them, so I'm not poo-pooing them. I'm just telling you, this is how we interact. This is protocol. If you're in spiritual warfare, this protocol interact with the unseen realm. This manner of freeing ourselves from resolving God's battles is a good protocol for spiritual warfare. It's the only one. I've seen crazy things with angels. I've seen an angel of judgment manifest in a possessed man in the street of San Francisco. It was crazy. I didn't know what it was for years. This is where I witnessed teleportation. This guy teleported. Um, my son witnessed it too, and, and a couple other people on our, our ministry team at night in the Tenderloin. You know, the place is dark and creepy, and, and I didn't know what it was for the longest time. And God finally told me the name of the thing about six years later. It's like, what was that all about? You know, and he gave me the name of it. It was an angel judgment. So there's one there in San Francisco sitting. It's waiting. Will it ever be used? I don't know. Will it be used in 100 years? Will it be used tomorrow? I don't know. But there's an angel judgment sitting in San Francisco to judge that city and all the crap that comes out of it. Just be forewarned. It's there. I've seen it. So I mean, that's probably all I can say about it. I know more about it. But that's all I'm allowed to say. Also, I have felt and seen angels manifest physically during deliverance ministry. You know, it's common. If you do it enough, you're going to feel it. I um, spoke some time back. Is it during manifestations? I spoke about how <laughs> we had a deliverance session in my house, and one angel manifested as what looked like my son, and, and just driving out a demon, and I thought my son was down there. 
Yeah, it was like, um, yeah, it was one of those podcasts back. I think it was not manifestations, but spiritual afflictions. I think it was in there. It might have been that episode. So, like I said, I felt them manifest. I have witnessed an invisible angel fly through a wall and drag a demoniac lying face down the floor, kicking and screaming backwards several inches with their nails dug in the carpet. Yeah, yeah, Liv D seen that. That was crazy. So we were praying and we just felt the, the shift change in the room. We were in and this woman was face down on the carpet. She was digging her nails in, didn't want to get up, didn't want to look at us. And God sent an angel through. You know, we felt some sort of kingdom presence manifest. And the girl literally was dragged backwards by something invisible and it flew through the wall with it. It was gone. I've seen angels standing guard in my house. You know, during days of big warfare, I've seen all sorts of crazy things. I just want to make it clear again that I'm not in unbelief of working with angels. We work with them. It's just, I don't have the authority to tell them what to do. I work with them. They are officers and I'm a corporal. Let's put it that way. Under the, uh, we have the commander of the Lord's army and he commands his angels and I'm just a foot soldier. I don't know. I like to be like I'm a gunny sergeant or something like that that does a lot of battles. That's probably what I would amount to. Something, you know, a Navy SEAL. But, you know, we're lesser than angels, so I'm not, I'm not in the officer ranks yet. I don't like to call ourselves generals. We're a general. Like, I don't think we are. Good stuff. Yeah, so I get to see, occasionally see um, lots of acts of glory through God with angelic presence. And I've documented quite a few of them. Um, the fact of the matter is, these divine spiritual beings, what we call angels, um, belong to God and God alone. We don't command them. Psalm 115.16, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The heavens belong to Jesus. We don't command angels, and we're lower than angels. Hebrews 2.9, I'm going to beat that into you guys. Angels respond to God's voice. Psalm 103.20, Blessed the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. There it is. The biggest problem of partnering with angels is you are going to have to deal with false angels of light and false Jesus. In the occult, you deal with false Jesus and false angels of light. I remember sitting in a um, conference sometimes back, Christian conference sometime back, um, probably about five years ago. Graham Cook was a guest speaker, and he was talking about how, same thing, right? We don't talk in the spirit realm to angels or anything in the spirit realm. We just don't, except the Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. That's it. That's our limitations. We just... You know, the Catholics like to pray to their angels. Go ahead, but I wouldn't do it. But Graham Cook raised this point where this deliverance minister was using their angels, her angels, to drive out demons. And one day the assistant came in the office and said the person was looking really weird. And I looked at him and that one of the angels she used to drive out the demons possessed her. And he had to kick out this, this possessing spirit. And it's become so much of a doctrine in the charismatic church where we're partnering with angels. It's, it's a bad doctrine. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. The way we partner with angels is like high five Jesus whenever he does something. That's how we do it. Give glory to Jesus. I was funny at that same conference. This was so inbred in the charismatic church. This young girl, you know, you have Graham Cook speaking to you, right? He's, he's, he's high up there in the food chain of speakers. And this one girl asked him, Do we partner with angels? Do we talk with angels? And he said, Don't talk with them. And this young lady got her halo all bent out of shape and said, Well, that's not true. You know, and he goes, well, fine, believe whatever you want. So it's just, I'm telling you, even Graham Cook's selling this, and so is uh, the late John Paul Jackson. We just don't. We could have angelic encounters. Things could happen. I've had a lot of angelic encounters. I've had them. But I didn't ask for them. They're under the mystical grace of God, what he wanted to do in warfare. And I've spoken in the past how people ask me, well, can you lay hands on me and pray for me and, and activate me? You know, so I can see angels. I said, that's, 
I can't. That's not my gift to give. I don't do these things. I don't know why they happen to me. Jesus just does every now and then. And I've been in the trenches so much, it's just, I've seen a lot, both good and bad. So the end thing is, we stay out of the heavenly realms, whether good or bad, we stay out. Man doesn't have the authority to command, bind, or judge angels. But we do have the authority over low-level, demonic, unclean spirits, which are not fallen angels. And that's what stuck to roam the earth, because they can't get into heavenly realms, because God says, I don't want you, I didn't create you. There's another clue, go look it up. That's where it's at, cosmology and demonology, right? That's where it's at. Sorry, I had to clob you in the face with it. Okay, next heading, the second heaven. We have established now that the high-ranking ruling satanic angels' powers are in the second heaven. The highest ruling angel in the second heaven is the one with the title of Satan, or Satan. When God cast out Satan out of the third heaven for the failed rebellion, Satan took his ruling angels with him and set up dominion in his second heaven. This is speculation. Uh, it's hard to determine where is this in the Bible. It's hard to find it. But we, we just speculate it happened. And now we're piecing stuff together from the Septuagint. We're piecing stuff together from Dead Sea Scrolls of what happened. That's why we need to go back and look at this now. What We don't have the actual information of what transpired, but the ancient Hebrews, Second Temple Hebrews, and the early Christians understood this. They, they knew it. But we've lost it in translation. We've lost the context over time, sadly. What is second heaven? In 2 Corinthians 12.2, Paul reveals to us he visited the third heaven, where God resides without the rebelling angels, right? He kicked them out. So there's some sort of spirit realm that's out there. Where is it? Who knows? Um, but it's where I believe the original spirit set up. And they may be able to go back and forth between heaven. I'm not sure because even though God didn't remove the regional spirits are evil and wicked. They're going to face judgment in the end times. They haven't yet because all the nations haven't come back together yet. And that's when man gets put back in and possibly elevated, but that's after Jesus returns. Not yet. Understand that intercessors, understand that charismatics, we can't really do anything until we're restored to the divine council, which we lost our seats on when we were exiled out of Eden. Okay? This terminology is not making sense to you. Go get my book. Go get it. So Paul reveals to us he visited the third heaven where God resides, right? Ephesians 6.12 tells us that the rebellion satanic hierarchy is in heavenly places. Satan wants to be God, so he has his own version of heaven, right? He set up his own real estate. Kind of like third world heaven, right? It's trashy, it's junky, you know, it's, just, it's not exactly heaven. But, you know, Satan's trying, he ain't going to do it. He doesn't the power. So I recall listening to Derek Prince. Where do we get this term second heaven from? Um, Derek Prince said, if there's a third heaven where the God most high resides, then by logic there must be a second heaven. And that came out of a spiritual warfare in heavens and earth um, audio. It might be on YouTube. You can look that up. That's Derek Prince, spiritual warfare in heavens and earth. And what we're leading to, this isn't biblical. Well, it's biblical, but we can't track it to anything. It's an assumption. It makes sense that, you know, God's not going to live with the riffraff. He has the he has the high retina, but he's got the good stuff. He's got paradise. Why does he want this junk in paradise, right? So somewhere out there in another spiritual dimension, there's a second heaven junkie rundown place where all these Elohims are ch chilling or hanging out and trying to be like God until they await their judgment. They all know they're waiting in judgment. They all know it's going to happen in Revelation 20. They all know it. So don't think linear. Don't think like um, you know, like 
when people try that, draw the drawings, like first heaven is earth in the sky, and second heaven is uh, the, the, the demonic, or excuse me, the, the satanic angels, and the third heaven is God. It's not linear. It's this weird, I don't know, remember, we're three-dimensional. If we can perceive that three-dimensionally, that's not how it works. God is multidimensional. We remember that Paul, when he went to the third heaven, he's talking about sounds and colors, I remember, if I remember right, that was inexplicable because it was beyond the spectrum, beyond the dimensions of what he could comprehend in our 3D reality. Good stuff. Ah, the spiritual protocols of Jude 810. So, you have more than likely heard somebody say in their, in their deliverance prayers, I'm binding Satan and principalities, right? I bind the principalities. That's, that's, that'll be a, um, an intercessor. I'm binding the principalities over this land and tell them to stop it. Um, this prayer practice is another false teaching in the church. It's running rampant and it's dangerous. We've got to stop it. Remember, we don't have authority over angelic beings. We don't. We are lesser than angels. Okay, which, where are we at? Where are we going to again? Why are we lesser than angels? Hebrews 2.9, right? Because when Jesus came down to be man, he had to step lower. He had to become man incarnate to be put to the cross and experience death himself. As, as a God spirit, he would not experience death at all. So he had to, you know, even the angels didn't. So he had to come down and he had to experience death through, through man, become incarnate. That's the whole powerful thing of it. So Hebrews 2.9, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, Namely, Jesus, because of the suffering, death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Right? Ding! So, I have an old story here, um, back when I wrote this book. Probably about, oh my gosh, it's probably about 2009, 2010 maybe. Um, I took a team out to the Berkeley Pagan Festival. And the Sunday before we went, we had a guest spec pastor speaking at our church, my home church at that time. And so my pastor invited the guest pastor to come up and pray us out for this missions trip we were doing that I was leading. And I orchestrated. And so the pastor got up there and he goes, I bind Satan, I bind the principalities, you know, and he's kept playing all this stuff. He's praying this warfare thing to pick a fight with the enemy. And I'm sitting there going, um, even though they're pagans, we're not going there to pick a fight. We're going there as evangelists to win souls using prophetic ministry and to, you know, change hearts over. And so, quietly in the back of my head, I was rebuking this pastor's prayers and telling Jesus, please forgive us. You and I know that's not why we're going there. And I ask you, Father, to go ahead of us and eradicate this prayer just to protect us. And so, no, we have no, um, you know, bar fights in the spirit realm before we get there. And I said, I didn't want to fight. I was going there as evangelists, you know, just do prophetic ministry. And we had some powerful, powerful sessions. I don't recommend you do it. It's because I already had experience with the occult and working with witches and stuff that God sent me in to do evangelism there. And it was a very dangerous place spiritually, but it was off the hook. I mean, we had witches come up. We know you're Christians, but what I want to know is how come you guys are still able to do your psychic stuff and we're shutting you down? And I go, we're not doing psychic stuff. We're talking to God. They're going, what? So yeah, we're talking to God directly. He goes, I don't believe because we, we were powerful witches. We were able to shut you down, but... You guys are still working, and we don't understand what's going on. I said, because we're talking with God. And so we just do prophetic ministry with them, and it was kind of cool. Um, one guy who was a voodoo priest was so taken back, we actually took him with us on night strike for a couple of times. He, was on, he started figuring out that, um, you know, there's something about this Jesus guy that's far more powerful than what I'm into, right? And he had his little voodoo cane with him, the skull. 
we walked the streets and then but i guess some church came out with us and they didn't know who he was they got bent out of shape and they said something to his face and said, well if you're into voodoo you don't belong out here you know and so he never came back which is a shame because we're solely changing the rudder of course it just takes somebody from our own ilk to ruin something permanently so but that was a fun time though it just just the fact that we got some <laughs> voodoo priest come out of this witch uh, with a night strike and he was just watching us pray and see people get healed it was it was, the, the light bulb was going on but you know we get so churchy you know it's just unfortunately that man wasn't on my team that night so i couldn't correct that person or pull him off the side or tell him to go home that's what i would have done because it's we didn't need that crap coming out of their mouth yeah so that's a cool thing so we do um go off to pagan festivals things like that it's kind of interesting so what is the jude 8 through 10 protocol let's read this here yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties that's it right there they're reviling the angelic majesties they're not acknowledging that they're a, a, a being above them and over them so they're reviling them when you bind principalities go after this it's right there but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things they do not understand and the things which they do not know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Right? These, these spirits will wipe you out. If we go pick a fight with them, they'll wipe you out. So it's like, Lord rebuke you. See something that's out of your jurisdiction? Lord rebuke you. Jesus you know, petition Jesus, whatever that is, you know, help me here. I can't battle this thing. You know, I'm just an ant and I'm under a, a magnifying glass against this thing. So, Lord, take away the magnifying glass, rebuke it. So, verse 8 of Jude tells us not to reject authority and not to revile angelic majesties. Satan is a high ranking angel. All those ones that were called out in Ephesians 6 12 are angelic majesties. And they're sitting on thrones, they're sitting on powers, they're sitting on sorts of stuff, authorities. They're in charge. We can't revile them. These are the ranks of the angelic majesties. In Greek, they're referred to as cosmic beings or celestial beings. So the Archangel Michael didn't speak a slanderous word of judgment against Satan, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And Michael is our angelic leader in spiritual warfare, demonstrating how God wants us to deal with Satan. So we have to follow that. How did he do it? You know, he said, Lord rebuke you. He wasn't going to revile it. There's another demonstration of this protocol found in Zechariah 3. It follows. Then he showed me Joshua, the highest priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. Satan, indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua is clothed with filthy garments standing before the angel. Okay, we have a divine council setting there, right? So we have a, a scene where Satan can go back into the heavenly realms, the third heaven, and just do his little evil stuff. So I guess these angels who are regional spirits can go back and forth. So is there a second heaven? We don't know. See, it's, it's very ambiguous. I want you to keep that in mind. But it's presumed and it makes sense there's a second heaven where these things reside because Jesus probably kicks them out. Like, okay, you're done. Get out of here. Say what you want to say. Do what you need to do and I'll leave. Go. When do we use the Jude 8 through 10 protocol and deliverance ministry? Never. 
if you have to use this protocol, you're no longer in deliverance ministry, you're no longer in Luke 10. You've jumped over to Mark 9, you're into an exorcism. Be aware. And it could be a lifesaver. <laughs> so I have petitioning warfare at the regional spirit. This, this one's interesting. Oh, gosh. This had to be about five or six years ago as well. Um, I was doing some ritual abuse counseling with some people. I had this one gal from Africa. I think it was Nigeria, Africa. I can't remember where she was. She was working back and forth between Africa and California with a chemical company. And she got a hold of me because she was levitating above her bed at night. And she went to sleep. Like, wow, well, what's going on here? So, you know, we, um, one of the people I work with and a counselor, she came in and worked with me that night to do the, the deliverance ministry because we knew we'd be doing something demonic, right? Was it ritual abuse or something else going on here? If she was levitating, we know a demon was involved. So, we just, like I said, you have to be the, the biggest uh, critic on this and make them prove it. So, we sat and listened to Connie's story when she, she told it to us. And she said she was the first in her village to receive the holy baptism. Of the Holy Spirit. I said everything after that, things went crazy and haywire. And she started suffering with severe demonic oppression after the Holy Spirit, you know, um, was, was, was baptized in it. And so most Christians go, well, that, that's not right. You know, I thought the Holy Spirit protected. Yeah, he does. So what's going on? The whole, one woman brings the Holy Spirit into her village. What's going on here? So we sat and listened to Connie's story some more. So she told us about how deliverance ministers in her village were struck down dead right after praying for her for deliverance. So, light bulb goes on, Mike has tactical information. This isn't a deliverance prayer anymore. This is high-level satanic angels giving her a bad time. So, if it's smiting ministers, it's interesting because I have to tread lightly because I don't want to be smited. My um, co-counselor didn't want to be smited that night, so we're asking Jesus, what the heck's going on? But I already knew we, drew up, we dropped Luke 10, we're not doing deliverance ministry. We're now into Mark 9 exorcism. We have to tread very carefully. So, Connie's story was starting to point something higher up on satanic food chain, right? Satanic angel food chain. I asked Jesus for more revelation on Connie's story and her history. And she, Connie spoke this for a good hour on this thing. It was, um, finally she provided the puzzle piece I was after. Um, she told us that she was the first to see, receive Jesus in her village. As it turns out, her dad was the regional leader in the village and the regional witch doctor. Regional, regional, regional. What are we after here? Elohim. We have Elohim witchcraft going on. And so we have to tread super lightly. That's what was striking down these ministers. You know? Um, so I'm asking Jesus, okay, <laughs> I heard it loud and clear. Uh, this is high level satanic witchcraft and it's coming from regional spirits. How do I proceed or not proceed? I'm not going to do this, Jesus, unless you're in it and you tell me to do it. So, I sat there and just kind of waited a moment or two and just listened to Jesus for a yay or nay. And finally, he released me in a battle. I go, okay, let's do this. Because if Jesus says he's going to do it, he's going to do it, right? I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to sit there and witness it. So was Anna. Even worse than me. So, um... I started the prayer session by opening the scripture and reading Jude 8 through 10 as a prayer, right? Okay, here we go. You know, I'm not here to revile spirits. Just as the um, Archangel Michael did not revile Satan over the body of Moses, but said, Lord, rebuke you. So um, I read that and it was a very calm and very peaceful. In these petitioning prayers, you do not tell Jesus how to carry out the fight, right? You simply ask Jesus to shut down what's coming from the dark heavenly places. 
I think we met two or three times and things slowly shut down and she finally she stopped levi levitating over her bed. We got it shut down and she felt peaceful about it. The only warfare prayer we did was binding any low-level demonic spirits involved from calling out the higher spirits, right? We didn't want the low-level demonics calling out for retaliation. We just bound them, pushed them out because we have authority over low-level and we let Jesus shut down everything in the heavenly realms, which was the regional spirits of witchcraft and voodoo. So the result was after two prayer sessions, levitation stopped at night, and the ministry was all done through prayer to put Jesus, and neither Anna nor I got struck down, anything got sick, nothing happened to us because we did it through petitioning prayer. Ah, here we go. Chapter um, subheading is Spiritual Warfare and Principalities. The number one rule of spiritual warfare is not to revile or battle angelic majesties. In my years of ministry, every person has come to me claiming to be under attack. The principality wasn't. I have heard people in some church ignorantly blame principalities and claim them and saw them manifest in a church service. You know, I don't believe this. Um, unless your church was going against um, and attacking principalities, and you might see something like that. But if you're just doing deliverance, like, oh, it had to be a principality. And the demon said so. That's another, you know, just because the demon said so, they're lying. The demon knows, oh, well, I'm going to run off. You, you guys are afraid of principalities. So I've also worked with an individual who claimed her family is under the curse of a principality that dated all the way back to the days of Babylon. So this woman had a fantastic, colorful story, but things didn't add up. Why was she in great health, and why the warfare in her was so trivial? She was just having a bad time in finances, right? And she was having hard luck in life. I, I presume it was a trial. She wasn't acknowledging. But she labeled it as principalities after her. She was from Iraq, and principalities don't go after low-level targets. They don't. We need to remember that in the Gospels, Satan entered Judas because Satan was after a high-level target. He wasn't after Judas. He was after Jesus. So Satan entered Judas to make sure Jesus got nailed to the cross because Satan didn't know that that was the battle plan to defeat him. Satan thought it was his way to victory, so he entered Judas to make sure the deed was done. You know, got Jesus, and next thing you know, Satan's like, what? Yeah, Jesus pulled the rug out from underneath. <laughs> right, boom! Hey! So, um, it is what it is. So we're given a clear example in the book of Daniel about an attack by the prince of Persia. A principality. Where did the prince of Persia get the region from? Genesis 11 and Deuteronomy 32, right? Elohim's. So the satanic angel was not battling Daniel, but it was battling against God's angels because the prophecy came time where the Israelites were supposed to return back under the jurisdiction of God, back to God's portion. Their, their punishment was done, and God wants to take them back. But, you know, this, this guy's going, hey, this is my, this is my cut. Um, you know, lo losers keepers. It was it finders keepers, losers weepers. So, you know, you're not getting them back. So, God goes, these are mine. Sorry, I'm going to take these by force. And it took 21 days, so I guess a heck of a battle raged. So, you know, it's just interesting that God allows his servants to go through and, and work out this battle because he can Thanos snap these guys out of existence. So it's just interesting how he let his angels, you know, take the military field and work for him and, and get things back. Because he wants to work with all of us. That's this whole thing is a cooperation of managing and, and authority and administrating and rulership over this. So that's why there's these battles that took on for 21 days. So the spiritual warfare was the unseen result of Daniel's prayer and obedience to God, right? He was face down. Daniel was fasting. He was doing prayers of supplication, right? He's petitioning God in supplication. 
and this battle took place. Cool. Cool stuff. That's how you do it. That's how you petition God. Go look at Daniel. Fast and pray. Face down. Supplication. That's how you do spiritual warfare in these high levels. So whenever someone in your church claims to be fighting in the heavens and engaging in regional spirits and principalities, he is reviling angelic majesties. What do we do? Um, I'd have him go read John Paul Jackson's book, the late John Paul Jackson. Um, talks about spiritual warfare protocol in the heavenly realms in his book, Unnecessary Casualties of War. Excellent book. You should read it because Jackson documents churches that received congregation-wide curses of cancer and miscarriages from overstepping their spiritual authority. This happens a lot. You people out healing the land. I'm healing the land. Things are happening. Like, I don't want to be part of that. Uh-uh. No. The land will heal, but you got to bring the people back into, um, you know, reconciliation with Jesus. The occult and satanic angels. When we turn to the occult, we're heading more towards Mark 9 and not so much deliverance. You can do deliver a person who's like had spiritual attachments from something minor. You can kick those out. But once they start doing sacrifices, rituals, that sort of stuff, they're into it, heading towards exorcism. And that's what I'm going to go into. And it's, it's, it's a lot different here. It's a lot different. Um, what kind of opened my eyes this years and years ago, early on when I was early with working with this, was in my area, there was a pastor reached out to me because he got slimed by working with one of his congregation members who had a young son and his young son and his friends went out to the pool house had some beer, had some marijuana, and popped open the Anton LaVey Satanic Bible and started summoning stuff, right? And that was a fun thing to do while you're drunk and stuff, but, you know, stuff came through. They summoned stuff. And now the pool house had shadows in it. The, the house started having shadows, and the kids were having weird oppressions, demonic oppressions. So this guy's father called out this pastor, and the pastor went out and blessed the house, drove things out. But then the pastor got slimed, and he reached out to me, and I worked with him on how to get stuff off him. But you're working higher levels here where you have to understand what's going on. It's not simple um, spiritual authority. A lot of times petitioning prayer and closing portals. And a lot of, there's a lot of stuff involved in this. It takes a team to understand it. Not somebody that wrote a book or the, the person at your church who's the leading expert because they went to all the conferences. Yeah, you gain information, but not the battlefield information, right? What type of warrior you want to be? One that went to school and learned all about it or the one that saw the darkest, most horrific battles who's, you know, who's been to Normandy, who's landed on beaches, right? Who's done this stuff in the spirit realm and seen the stuff and survived. Who's been to the worst battles. Who's taken hills in battles, right? And seen some of their, their best friends plucked off out of ministry from it. So that's where I'm at with this. It's just, I've had battlefield experience that goes far beyond um, the book experience. That's kind of why I knock the book stuff, right? It's not just being mean, being arrogant. I think we need to understand there's a difference between the two. You can't learn how to fly a plane. You have to spend the hours and hours and hours of getting your instrument rating. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in spiritual warfare, right? He's going to teach you how to fight. He's going to teach you how to use the swords. He's going to teach you how to duck. He's going to teach you how to um, endure certain poisons. He's going to teach you how to endure certain spells. He'll teach you. You know, sometimes you get slimed by it yourself. That's why he teaches you. But you walk away from it. It's, um, yeah, it's interesting. Ah, oh, here's a good one here, too. So um, there's a church I'm in collaboration with um, not far from me, and I trained them in spiritual warfare. I trained their whole congregation. And about two years after that, they reached out to me that one of their congregants had, it was this uh, a black six-winged angel with red eyes, red eyes glowing, usually means a ritual angel, that was seen at night walking the halls of the house of one of their church members. 
So the pastor called me and asked me for thoughts on what to do, right? It's kind of cool. So he's picking my brain. What's going on here, Mike? What do you think this is? And I said, well, somebody performed a blood ritual and somebody summoned this thing into the house. What's going on? Witchcraft is being done. So he thanked me for the information and he, he prayed about it. He went off and prayed and God revealed to him the grandmother in the house was practicing Santa Muerte. So my friend called me back like, what do I do now? And I gave him some tools on how to help cleanse a home. And a few days later, the dark angel was gone. So the pastor and the prayer team met with the grandmother and had her renounce and reveal dark rituals. And they had her destroy her fetishes and we burned them. Um, the pastor in a situation didn't get spiritually slimed. He took a Holy Spirit pause, spoke with God, and then was released into the fight. That's what you got to do. The outcome of the battle was victorious and the dark angels never been seen in the house again. So don't take on the occult alone. This pastor did the right thing. Call out, get your tactical information, work with people that know about it. I trust this guy. That's why I didn't need to show up for some of this stuff. I didn't have to. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, because I trained him. You know, it's just, and I know where he's at spiritually. He's in a good place. So, you know, it's just, it was good he checked out and did, covered his, you know, dotted his I's and crossed his T's. Ah, heading, SRA survivors, satanic ritual abuse survivors and occult battles in the heavens. Another instance where you encounter satanic angels in warfare when working with satanic ritual abuse survivors. As I mentioned before, ritual abuse is a special prayer ministry that is different from deliverance ministry. However, you must have a dead-on discernment and have the ability to discern between demons, angels, human identities, and astral projecting witchcraft. Um, I digress here. You know how many times I knock a lot of um, ritual abuse survivor ministries that are prophetic and stuff like that? Because it's here where they dropped the ball and they pretended or thought that they could detect astral projecting witches into their people and stuff like this and just made things more confusing for the survivor. Oh my God, how is this happening? How is this happening? You know, it's like, well, they weren't perceiving it right and they weren't understanding it and they didn't understand how to hear from God. And things just got ugly and worse. So it's like I kind of nixed a lot of these prophetic ministries that are out there. I'm going to say it right now and I'm going to say it again, Shabar. Don't go to that. If you're a survivor, don't go to Shabar. Uh-uh. So a minister must understand the different styles of warfare and protocols and know when to implement them, right? During these battles, you will encounter biblical deities, Baal, Moloch, and Satanic and Luciferian angels. You'll, you'll encounter them as parts programmed to be them, not the actual ones. But these parts are well aware of the witchcraft that these spirits have available. So it's just, deliverance will be of use, no use to you. Because these are parts that have to be evangelized. That's how you get these parts over. So, yep. So attacks on ministries can go on for years as you minister to one individual. Uh, the ministry I was part of for the longest time, the counseling people, we had relationships destroyed. We had finances destroyed. You know, we we get provision from God. We were constantly being bombarded because we had a community of occult survivors. And even though we were friends with these people, you know, at lunches with them and stuff, you know, and just kind of hung out because it was community because we had to build a community base where they felt safe and they could talk with others about it and their healings. They had parts that were designed to go against God's will and their low labor subsystems that were still flinging witchcraft. And we went through a lot of stuff. We had family members get sick from it, things like that. Um, close friendships were destroyed. I, a lot of, all of us had friendships destroyed by it. In just odd ways. Like, what the heck's going on here? But no matter how intense the warfare may get, we always see the glory of God through it. It's just, we knew God sent us here and we had to stay the course. 
So if you encounter a satanic ritual abuse survivor needing help, seek out ministries that already work in these areas because you have no idea what they've been through. You may want a counseling person, but you're not prepared to counsel severe torture. This is not for the squeamish. This is for people the Holy Spirit brought in. These people were programmed because they endured as children the most horrific sexual, violent, bloody torture you can imagine. And that's how they got programmed. And you work with these people now and you just love them. They're amazing people. And you're, it, it, it hurts you. You see this done. Um, but the minister has to be in place too. It has to be brought in by God. It's not something you got training in. I still want to, I'm called to help these people. You're not called. God's going to draft you. And you have to have the mindset to be able to deal with it when you go home at night because I can't talk to my spouse about it. I can't talk to anybody. How do I deal with it? I had counseling members we dealt with. Um, I had one um, <laughs> exorcist, Roman Catholic exorcist. I used to go out lunch with every now and then. We discuss our weird cases because it kind of like it was a therapy for each other, right? And we just kind of like, nobody believe we would believe this, huh? I can't believe we're sitting in this restaurant talking about this. You know, it was hysterical. It was funny. So an SRA prayer ministry will let Jesus and the Holy Spirit do all the work and all the thinking. It's one of the laziest ministries. I just have to bring the presence of God and work on evangelizing or work with a part that doesn't want to talk with God yet and get them to, hey, you want to listen to Jesus? No, I don't want to. Okay, that's fine. We can't force them. It just it has to be their own free will. Jesus is all about their free will. Ah, here's a subtitle heading, Battling in the Heavenly Realms. Not all Battles are low-level demonic deliverance prayer sessions. In deliverance ministry, you most likely won't encounter satanic angels. If you are dealing with something angelic, switch to petitioning prayer. Okay, so if you're a deliverance minister, you have to switch to Mark 9. You're no longer a deliverance minister anymore, and you may be out of your jurisdiction. You're on, you're on Mark 9. Using petitioning prayer, you're dealing with witchcraft. So how... Say in the case like we had that woman from Africa who was levitating, you have to deal with it. I would... Seek somebody that knows they're doing first for you after that. But if you need to petition Jesus and you're dead certain from word of knowledge, this is what I would pray. This is a petitioning prayer. Establish who Jesus is in your prayer. So it's him and him alone because we do a false Jesus in the occult and false Jesus can show up if it's not well established. So here we go. It is Jesus alone we pray to and petition. Jesus who was God incarnate. Jesus who was born by a virgin birth. Jesus who came into this world as a man, not under the curse of the original sin. Jesus who led a sinless holy life. Jesus who was the only true blood sacrifice for man's sins. Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave in three days. Jesus who is the only way to the Father in heaven. It is this Jesus alone we pray to and petition. Jesus, the heavens belong to you. Jesus, if there's any warfare coming from the heavenly realms, we ask you shut this down. Please protect us and cover us. Please cancel any assignments against us. Protect and cover us, our ministries, our properties, our families, our pets, our finances, everything. Protect us. Protect our cars. Protect you know, appliances. Keep going down the line, man. Um, and anything we can't think of. Relationships. Jesus, anything under our dominion, we bind and forbid from calling out the higher beings. We bind witchcraft and we bind the demonic from their sources of power. Jesus, we ask you for your revelation, your covering, and your protection. In your precious name, amen. Okay, so... The only time a drillist minister should have to use this prayer is if he finds himself with a former occult member and not an occult ritual survivor, right? So maybe like that kid that came in, he was possessed because he did rituals and um, he, he did blood sacrifices. I think he did some really horrible ones too um, that I want to comment on here. Remember I told you when you go into this stuff, you have to have Jesus prepare you that you're going to hear, I don't know, 
Stephen King novel couldn't touch it. Let me do it that way. You know, it's, 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 these are the darkest horror flick can touch it. Freddy Krueger can touch this. Freddy Krueger ran off crying. If you heard this stuff, it's just, it's bad. So, so yeah, if you come to the point where you're petitioning prayer, you may want to find a legitimate exorcist to help you. That's all I have covered here. Did everything make sense about Genesis 11 and Deuteronomy 32 and how that aligns with Paul was trying to convey in Ephesians 6, 12? And if you have a hard time understanding it, remember, just go back to Cosmology, Demonology, and Genesis 1 through 11. Um, behind me here, I have the book cover to Introduction to Spiritual Warfare Ministry, Course 101. If your church is interested in learning this stuff, I do come out and teach it. I have a workbook. That's that's the workbook cover. And it's like about a two-day class. We can cover as deep as you want. Um, I cover everything from, like what I just covered here, about the um, the precedence of Jesus Christ and who He is over creation. I cover deliverance ministry. I cover exorcism. And I start covering to dissociated identity disorder stuff. Or I can spend a class on dissociated identity disorder. Um, if that's something you guys are interested in, reach out and contact me and, you know, let me know how many people you got coming to it and we can put together a class for you. Again, this, this is crowdfunded. You can find the show notes for this night on this, this podcast at a field kind to spiritual warfare.blogspot.com. You can find the books at afg2sw.com, a field guide to spiritual warfare. That's, it's an acronym, afg2sw.com. In fact, my producer's here. My producer, my dog. <laughs> my producer's here. Say, time to sign off, Mike. Yeah, come feed me and play ball. Um, anyhow, love you guys. And remember, crowdfunded and go check out the um, PayPal thing there too to help us out and help us produce more material. And that should do it, guys. You guys are amazing. I, some people have reached out so far and helped us out. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, this is hard times right now for us. We want to keep the ministry going. And yeah, I'm going to keep the content going for as long as I can. I'm going to start cranking out more. And I have to start praying about what I want to do after I wrap up a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare. I still want to finish um, St. Teresa of Avila. And there's so much topics we can dive into. Spiritual warfare, inner healing, whatever you guys want to do to association. Um, let me know. But yeah, pick up this book, A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare. It has a lot of great prayer stuff in it um, to help guide you. Its predecessor book, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, is still out there. And all those books are available at afg2sw.com. I'm still working on my email contact page. It's messed up. I'm going to try to get that fixed in the next couple of days. Um, love you guys. You're amazing. God bless from the M16 bunker. I'm losing daylight, so I got to check out. God bless you guys. Amen. Amen.